Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about whether you should tell the school or not about your child's anxiety or OCD. That's a tricky one, right? There's a lot of things to consider when we're talking about letting our kids' school know. And a lot of times parents will ask me this question, and it really depends on the situation, what's going on, and what you hope to get from it. And so I, my goal is to break that down for you today, talk about some things to be cognizant about as far as how anxiety or OCD can show up and impact the school environment and what steps you can take. There's different levels as far as involving the school. So hopefully you'll you'll get a bigger picture by listening to this episode. Before we get started though, I do want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They are available in the US and outside of the US. And you can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. I will leave a link in the show notes. Super helpful because so many people can't find therapists. And now with NoCD, they're really filling in the gap. So check them out. Okay, let's dive into this. So I want to talk about the first thing that you really want to consider when we're talking about, do I tell the school? And the first thing to think about is, does anxiety or OCD show up for them in the school? So it's not just a given that, oh, if your child has this diagnosis or this issue, then I always should tell the school. You want to dig deeper and say, is this impacting their school environment? That's the first question I always ask parents. It's what I always ask myself when I'm thinking about disclosing my own children's issues I want to look at it from the school's perspective and the school lens. And so if I don't tell them and there are issues that are showing up at school or there's the potential for issues to show up at school, that is going to lean me very heavily on disclosing that. And so I want to first give you a snapshot of just some flavors of different ways that anxiety or OCD can show up. It can show up in a multitude of ways. And so obviously this is not an exhaustive list. But these are the common ones that when I was brainstorming, these were like the ones that just popped up in my head because these are the ones I've seen over and over again in the AT parenting community, in my practice, and with my own kids. So let's just go through them first, and then we'll talk about the second half of this episode. We'll talk about then where do you go with that? So here are a couple of them. The risk of of the the school, and we're going to talk about and define what school means because that might mean teacher, that might mean admin. It might be the school counselor. It might mean the school principal. And so when I say school, that's a loose, that's a loose term at this point. We're going to, we're going to just define that more thoroughly in the second half. But the risk of them not knowing is they might discipline or misunderstand your child's anxiety or OCD issues. That's a big concern because we want people to love our kids. We want them to understand our kids. We want them to know what's driving their behavior. And if they do not understand what is causing some of the behaviors they're seeing, they can mislabel it. They can discipline it. 
they can label our kids. They can approach it in a way that's actually going to make it worse. So lots of things to be concerned with. And I'll give you a couple of examples. With OCD, you have some kids that are not actually, okay, I'm going to break it down. With OCD, you have kids who are not able to move on. They get stuck. They can get stuck on an activity. They can get stuck hand sanitizing their 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 desk or their hands. They can get stuck on an activity because it doesn't feel just right. They're not moving on. And so it can look oppositional, like they're not moving on to the next step. You have anxious kids who also do not transition well. You have kids who have perfectionism or need to complete uh, a task in order to feel to feel satisfied. And so that can happen in the anxiety realm too, where you have kids who don't transition from activity to activity well. And so they can get very upset. They can have meltdowns. They could even be aggressive when told to clean up and move on to the next activity. And so that could be a big issue. The the next one is you can have kids not coming out of the bathroom. And so you can have a kid that's stuck in the bathroom, washing and rewashing their hands or wiping and rewiping, and they can't get out of the bathroom. And it looks like they are skipping class or avoiding school because they're in the bathroom all the time. They might go to the nurse all the time with somatic issues. And so they might feel sick or they might want to avoid. And so they're, um, or they're just feeling anxious. And so they're going to the nurse all the time and it can look again, like they're one is something medically wrong with them or two, they're misusing the nurse um, or taking advantage. So that could be an issue as well. Um, They might have frequent absences or frequent tardiness because they're anxious to go to school or they're stuck in rituals before they get to school. And so they're often late to school. And so it can look like a disciplinarian issue or a parenting issue that your child is always late. They're getting detention because they're late all the time. They might have excessive absences because they're too anxious to go to school or they're too triggered to go to school. And so you're, you're getting all those absences and all of a sudden now you're in, in trouble with the school or with a school district or wherever they take that. That can be an issue as well. Some other ones is you can have a child who repeats questions. They're asking the same question over and over, which could be, it could be mislabeled as like a learning issue. It could look like they're not listening because they're asking for clarification a lot of times kids with OCD will have to repeat, they'll repeat questions over and over because it just doesn't feel right, or they feel like they fully don't get it or understand it. And so that can be an issue. You can have kids who stare off because they're ruminating or doing mental compulsions. And so it can look like they're distracted. They're not focusing. They're not attending. The teacher can mislabel them as having ADHD or not being engaged in the activity or staring off and not focusing because they're not interested all sorts of labels that could be inaccurate. And I do want to say with the staring off, and we'll actually get to that in the next category of what I'm going to talk about, but sometimes they're staring off because they're doing mental compulsions. And sometimes they're staring off because they're ruminating. Sometimes they're staring off because they have anxiety and, you know, they're thinking about their anxiety. So, you know, if they have a fear of throw up, they're thinking of, oh my gosh, you know, I think I just saw that kid touch my desk or, oh my gosh, that kid is coughing next to me. What if he throws up? Or they have separation anxiety. They're thinking, when is my mom going to come back? You know, I wonder what she's doing right now. I wonder if she's safe. I wonder if she's going to pick me up. If they have anxiety around safety issues, they might be worrying about what was that noise? I hope no one's going to shoot up the school. I mean, it could be really honestly anything, but that can look like like the inability to focus. It looks like they're staring off. Another one is frequent bathroom visits. So you can have kids who are excessively hand-washing. You can have kids with sensory motor OCD, like my daughter, who, you know, gets that 
sensation and feeling that she has to pee all the time because she's hyper-focused on her bladder. And it can look like she's, again, trying to escape or take advantage of the bathroom. And so that becomes, uh, it could be a turn into a discipline issue. And then the last one I've got as far as discipline or misunderstanding is your child could have anxiety attacks or panic attacks, and they might run out of the room. They might hide under the table. They might rip up their, their work out of frustration. They might have big reactions due to overwhelm, or they might shut down and not respond at all. And the teacher may not know what to do with that and may see it as oppositional behavior or disrespect. And so that's something to consider as well. So as I'm going through these, my hope is that you're thinking about your child and you're thinking, is this something that my child might do at school? Is this, is this hitting on one of my child's issues? And if not, you know, this is good data to say, okay, how is, how is their issue impacting school, if at all? All right. The next thing to consider when we're looking at, is there a risk of not telling the school is, is there a risk of their anxiety or OCD impacting their grades? And so here are just some examples of ways that it can impact our kids' grades. You can have kids with just right OCD themes where they have to write and rewrite or read and reread until it feels just right, looks just right. Um, you can have kids with perfectionism who are similar in that they have to erase and rewrite their, their letters or they have to reread and redo their assignments until it, you know it's perfect. And so they, they take a very long time to do their work or they don't want to end their work because it's not perfect and they don't want to hand it in. And so it looks like they're not completing assignments because they're worried it's not perfect or with the OCD, not just right. Sometimes perfectionism and just right OCD themes overlap. So that one's a bit tricky. You might have kids who have mental compulsions like we just talked about before. I have seen kids with very complicated mental compulsions where they are having to read, like count the words as they're reading them and then divide them by two or um, count the words coming out of the teacher's mouth and then divide them by six, like a crazy mathematical equations that are mental compulsions that I couldn't do if you paid me. I'm like, how do you even do that? But that's distracting. And so you are not going to be doing well on assignments and tests when you are doing mental compulsions. So I've had kids in my practice that couldn't read, you know, read a paragraph in a test or an assignment because they had to do things with the words or I've had kids who had to avoid certain numbers. And so in math, they would avoid the number six or the number three, or they would have what I call bad numbers and they would not be able to write those numbers. And so the math would be wrong because they had to avoid that number. And so that becomes an issue with their grades. There are kids with anxiety who have test anxiety and they test really poorly because they get overwhelmed, they get into their head and you see a discrepancy between their classroom grades and their testing grades. And there are kids with performance anxiety. And so this can show up in lots of different ways. There's like time testing, which I'm not a fan of. There is like small group competition type of things where they might get anxious about that. There are kids who have presentation issues where it's so overwhelming for them to present that they are getting stomach aches and they don't want to present and they you know are refusing to do it or they are absent and won't do it. And so that impacts their grades. Um, and I've seen kids who have social anxiety or perfectionism or even moral scrupulosity type of OCD themes where they will not participate. And so a lot of times classrooms, you know, they have a participation grade, which I'm not a fan of, to be honest, and kids with social anxiety or perfectionism 
Or like I said, sometimes moral scrupulosity themes are afraid to give the wrong answer, to look bad. And so they avoid participation and then that impacts their grade. It looks like they don't care or they're not engaged in the conversation. But in reality, they're just petrified to participate. So when we get back, I want to talk about what we do with this information. And so where do you go from here? Stay tuned. We'll be right back. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. (laughs) I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realized it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it. So it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. Definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's a nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. All right, welcome back. So now that you have an idea of just the many ways that it can show up in the school environment, and just a, a flavor of the many, many ways, you want to think about your own child and think about, does their anxiety or CD show up for, for them? and it depends. And I'm going to use my own kids as an example. So my son who has, you know, both my, my two out of my three, well, I'm only going to be talking about my two kids who are 13 and 11, not my 19 year old, but you know, for my son, his OCD, he has anxiety and OCD, but his anxiety is tends to be around safety issues. You know, he's got like a intense fear of heights. He has an intense fear of needles these aren't things that are necessarily going to show up at school. They are overwhelming for me to deal with, you know, like they pop up in his life and they can be debilitating, especially considering he has Hashimoto's and he needs to get blood work done. 
um, at least once a year, you know, that becomes a big process. And we do like to do a lot of adventurous travels. And so heights become an issue, but is that going to be something that's going to impact him in school? No, I have not seen that be an issue. When he was young, he did have an issue with dysregulation. He did have an issue with needing to be first, feeling overwhelmed if he wasn't first in line, feeling rushed if he wasn't quick enough. Some test anxiety, but not big enough to be like a huge concern. And last year we did have some issues with reading and rereading, but he didn't want me to involve the school. But his main number one issue is food related. You know, he's got ARFID, avoidant restrictive food intake disorder. That is his number one front burner issue. Some moral OCD as well, but that's not something that I really need to involve with the school in at this point. He's in eighth grade, you know, he's dealing with that himself and it's not something that's going to impact his school environment. So for him at this point, at this stage, there is no need really for me to tell them about his anxiety or OCD. Now, I always like to partner with my kids, especially as they get older and say, if issues pop up, is this something that I can help you with? Is this something that you're comfortable with me talking to your teachers about? And I think that to be respectful when your kids get older and let them be part of that conversation is really important. As you know, my kids are in sixth and eighth grade now, and I, I want their permission. If it was really impeding their ability to function at school, then we may not partner in that discussion. I might think it is such a big issue that I have to discuss it. And I would still have a conversation with my child, but then I'd say, this is why it's really important that the school know. And I would give them the reasons why I think it's really important, but that doesn't pertain to him. Like there's nothing critical. Now, last year, I think it was last year, not the year before, everything's a blur, but he did have the just right issue where his, his reading grades were dropping. And a lot of it was, he would say, I just can't read. Um, I have to read and reread. And so I had said, and he had to write and rewrite. And I had said, do you want me to talk to your teacher about it? Because there are some accommodations we can do at school while we're working on this at home, because I don't want it to impact your school, your grades. And he said, no, I want to work through this. Let's do exposures at home. And so that was a good enough answer for me. And it did improve that I did not pursue that further because I do want to give him some agency to decide what his school knows and what they don't. And so we didn't do that. Now with my daughter who's in sixth grade, she needed a 504 plan in first grade. So she currently still has a 504 plan. And a 504 plan is less formal than an IEP. And so it doesn't have to be impacting their grades. It's just that they have a medical diagnosis or disability that is impacting their academics. And so um, it's easier to get a 504 plan for anxiety and OCD than an IEP. And you don't need an IEP. Typically, we just need a 504 plan. This is the United States. I don't know how it works in the UK or Australia or Canada, but in the United States, you can ask for a 504 plan. It doesn't mean you're going to get it. (laughs) We'll talk about that in a minute. But then you have formalized accommodations or things that they, by law, have to accommodate, which gives you a little bit more meat to the accommodations because it's legal. It's a legal document. And so that protects your kids a little bit more. So with my daughter, she had sensory motor OCD impacting her bladder. And so she was going to the bathroom a million times an hour. Like it, it was excessive. And she also had a teacher who was limiting the bathroom access and they were only allowed to go, I think once or twice a day. I really not a fan of when they like limit the bathroom. It's really weird. My son once had a teacher who was really bizarre and she did 
um, she would like punish them if they went to the bathroom. And and then if they didn't go to the bathroom all year, like during class, they would have like a, a party. I don't know. So it put a lot of pressure on the kids that needed to pee. It's kind of weird. But for those with sensory motor OCD to be told you cannot have access to the bathroom was very, very triggering. And so we had to work with the teacher to say, hey, this is what sensory motor OCD looks like. And it's not that I want you to allow her to go to the bathroom nonstop, but we had to come up with a plan. And we came up with a plan, you know, that she had a sign out sheet for the bathroom. I guess they do that a lot. And so I said, could, if you see that she's going frequently, can you take a picture of the sheet so I can see how frequently she's going? And then we'll deal with it therapeutically. But she does need to feel like she has access to the bathroom because it's kind of like if you tell someone not to itch something, you're going to feel like you have to itch it more. The restriction in first grade was way too much and she got through it and she was fine. So that is an example, but there were other things that popped up as well. She started to refuse to go into the cafeteria because she developed a metaphobia, the fear of throw up. And then she was afraid of going to recess. And so she was living in the counselor's office. The counselor was only there twice a week. And so then she started to live into live in the nurse's office. And so that became a huge issue as well. And I asked for a meeting with the nurse so that I could educate the nurse on why she's hanging out with her, why she thinks she's her best friend and things that the nurse could do to help facilitate and empower her to work through her discomfort. But there was a lot of accommodations at first to just get her back to make sure that she was still going to go to school. So those were just a few examples. She also has some test anxiety because she had a metaphobia. She would not eat in the morning because she was afraid of throwing up, but then her lunch wasn't until 1230. And so she was starving. So in her 504 plan, in there are accommodations that she is allowed to have a snack in, you know, in her first period or second period. Um, in her accommodations, she's allowed to have a fidget toy as long as it doesn't distract the other kids. She's allowed to test separate from the group. She doesn't have to use these things, but she has them available to her. And so that's just an, an example of, it's an example of a child who you would need to tell the school because all of her areas were impacting her school environment. They were impacting her academics. And so, you know, that would be a, a strong yes to involve the school. My son, mm, at this age, eighth grade, it's like a no, you know, unless something pops up. When he was little, like I said, he was dysregulated. He was aggressive. There was a lot of discussion about his anxiety and OCD when he was little. Um, always talked about his mood issues and his diagnoses when he was little because I didn't want him to be labeled as like an oppositional or aggressive kid. He was aggressive, but I wanted them to understand where it was coming from. So if you are like, yeah, I can see where this is going to show up. If your child has OCD, like do they involve the teachers in completing their OCD loop? Do they ask for reassurance questions that your the teacher would need to know how to respond to? Do they get stuck um, in loops, you know, stuck in the bathroom or stuck washing? Or do they get distracted by, you know, people who are going to be sick or throw up? Or are they nauseous? Or are they ruminating? Are they consumed with the fears of safety? So think about those things. Do you see a discrepancy between their test grades and their other grades? And if the answer is yes to some of those, then you might want to consider informing the teachers. Teachers appreciate the information. You know, as a teacher, I can imagine getting a heads up to know what you're dealing with is huge and is super helpful because I think a lot of times we worry that we're going to be labeling our kids. We're going to unnecessarily, you know, like I don't want this to go in their permanent record or I don't want them to like 
label my kid. You know, that's that's a good thing to consider. But then I also think about if there is even a slight risk that my child is going to show some of these symptoms or these behaviors at school, do I want to nip it in the bud and already have them understand why he's acting like that? A couple of years ago, I know when I was doing like a conference with one of my kids' teachers, I was explaining to them that they don't work well in a group setting and that, you know, these are their anxiety themes and this is why they don't work well in a group setting. And that if they can work independently, that would really be helpful. And I know that it's their plan to have everybody work with a group, but it's not really working for my child. And they listened to that that year. <laughs> so you don't necessarily have to have a, a, a formal 504 plan to ask for accommodations. So let's break it down to what you would do. So let's say you're like, yes, you know what? I, I agree. I want to tell the school. I don't care if it's in my child's permanent record. I find that anxiety or OCD is not, this is just my opinion, right? And it just depends on the school. I'm not worried about that for my kids. I feel like we're very open about their diagnoses. We're very open about their anxiety and OCD. And to me, it's not, it's not putting something in their permanent record that is horrific or shameful. It's like, there's a lot of very highly successful people who have anxiety and OCD, and there's nothing to be ashamed of in my opinion. I also don't think that teachers per se, and this is this could be not true for all teachers, but I don't feel like the most teachers label a child in a negative way when we tell them they have anxiety or OCD, especially if we, if we explain the OCD as well. I think sometimes you tell them someone has OCD and they think, oh, they're going to like compulsively hand wash or they're going to like organize like the pencils in their in the classroom. They don't understand. And then that's your role is to explain what type of OCD themes they have, which is most likely not what they've ever heard of before. And so, you know, and the education can help dispel the stereotypes of OCD. So you're probably helping other kids who will come afterwards with OCD, but it's not like saying, oh, my child has like really difficult behavior and they're going to come in here and they're going to rage on you and be, be careful about that because he's like, he's about to blow. Typically, not always, but typically kids with anxiety or OCD are like they're missed because they don't rock the boat and they're the wallflower. They're like the good students, not always, but a lot of the time. And so they get mislabeled as like not having any issues or not having to be watched or not having to be helped because they seem to just please the teacher. And so I want that radar on my kids in a, in a positive way. And I feel like sometimes giving them the heads up ahead of time gives them the compassion that I want them to show up with if my child's having an issue. So ways to discuss it. Uh, your first, and this goes from minor to severe, as far as the level of involvement you want with the school, depending on the, the severity of the child's anxiety or OCD. So uh, on a very basic level, you just go to the teacher. And so this might be, you write a letter to the teacher and you write out their struggles or their diagnoses. They don't have to have a diagnosis to tell the teacher. You know, I think sometimes parents will say that to me as well. They'll be like, uh, my child's not really having, they don't have a diagnosis. I can't get in with a therapist. Do I not tell the teacher? Tell the teacher. If you think it's going to show up in the school, it's okay. You know your child. You know their issues. You don't have to have a diagnosis to inform them of their anxiety or OCD struggles. And so you might just start off with a teacher. Um, you might write a note. I always requested a parent-teacher conference, or um, I would try to go in and talk to them. You know, the way they, they do it here where I live, it's like 
it's meet the teacher night and it's completely open. So all the parents are going in there, dropping off their school supplies and meeting the teacher. It's not conducive to a conversation about your child's anxiety or OCD. When they were younger, I would ask to talk to the teacher alone um, or I'd go very late <laughs> so that no, no other parent was around. And then I would tell them a little bit about the anxiety or OCD. But a lot of times, at least in my kid's school, they'll send something home like, help me get to know your kid. And if I don't get one of those and I want to convey what's going on with my kids, I will send an email to the teachers. And so it just depends on how in-depth you want to get. As a therapist, I've written letters to teachers that a parent can do as well that just generalizes, this is my child's diagnosis. These are some of the issues that you might see. And I break them up into categories. This is what you might see in school. And this is how you can deal with that at school. Giving them the tools, language, or coping mechanisms that work for you or work for your child is a gift to the teacher. And so don't assume that just because they're a teacher, they're going to be mental health experts and they're going to know how to handle whatever disruption or struggle your child is having. A lot of times I see parents saying like the teacher needs to fix this or the teacher needs to do this. And it's like the teacher is an educational expert, not a mental health expert. You know, not always, most of the time, not some, if you get like one that has mental health background, that's amazing, but that's not what they're supposed to be proficient in. And so it's helpful to give them a heads up of, you know, when you see him shutting down, this is what he'll look like. You know, he'll put his head on the desk or his face turns red, or he might rip up his paper or he might hide under his desk. And these are the things that help him when he shut down to give him his space, to not talk to him, you know, to let him cool down or, you know, whatever it is, you know, your child the best. And so giving them some of those tools can be very, very helpful. So talking to the teacher. I'm much more casual about it at this point. So like I said, with my son, no heads up. He's got four teachers. He's in eighth grade, no discussion. He's doing okay. Something pops up, then we'll discuss it. And, you know, and I have no problem going in and asking for a 504 plan if things just go way south. Like right now he's having nausea issues and just took him to the gastroenterologist and he's going to get all this blood work done tomorrow. And we're already having like, he can't go to school. He's at the school nurse. He's calling me home. I think it's medical, but when you have ARFID and you have a metaphobia on top of everything, you really don't know what's up, you know? And so if that became an issue, I would quickly go and get a 504 plan because he's going to start to have excessive absences and he's going to live with the nurse. Um, I already told the nurse, this is a good example of being fluid with your interactions with the school. So he went to school last week and then I knew he wasn't feeling well, but I said, you have to go to school, just power through, you know? And then like an hour later, I got a call from the nurse and that's not his norm. That is my daughter's norm, not his. And so I picked up, I picked him up from the nurse and he was fine the rest of the day, which really annoyed me because I was like, ah, it was anxiety, but he threw up this morning and he wasn't even going to school today. So something's wrong with him. But I did tell the nurse, I said, he's having stomach issues, you know? I'm not sure if it's anxiety or if there's something physically wrong, but we're getting it checked out. So he's not sick, quote unquote. He's just, ha- he's having a lot of stomach issues or something like long-term going on. Cause you know, with COVID they get very concerned about our kids' nausea and their stomach aches. That's another reason to, to talk to the school because they might just think your child has COVID all the time, you know, or has a stomach virus and is sending them home. Definitely talk to the nurse if your child has any kind of patterns like that. So 
The first level would be talking to the teacher or talking to the nurse, you know, just one-on-one with the people that are actually going to be dealing with the issue. From there, so with my daughter, I meant to mention this, I did get one of those, hey, let me get to know your kids. And it had at the very bottom, it was a Google Doc. And at the very bottom, it was like, is there anything else you want us to know? So I just used that as an opportunity to say, she's diagnosed with anxiety and OCD and she's on anxiety medication and she does have a 504 plan. So please just review that. And she masks very well. And so you won't really know that she's having a struggle until she is on a cliff. <laughs> you know. And that's just good information for them to have. You know, it's just a little introduction to like, hey, heads up, read the 504 plan. She might look like she's got it all together, but you know, she can crumble and you won't notice it. And so that's that's the level that we're doing right now. The school nurse does already know her, so I don't really need to do any introductions on that end. And um, there is a new school counselor that has not reached out. And I don't feel like I need to reach out at this point because she is doing really well. She's not using any of her accommodations. So we're kind of in a holding pattern. Now, moving from there, you might want to inform the, the administration. And so you might want to talk to the principal or the vice principal about their struggles. You might want to see if there's a school counselor. Some schools have school counselors, some don't. Some are on rotation and they're there for like, you know, two days a week. Some have a psychologist for testing, but they don't have a counselor. And there is a difference because a lot of times there's a psychologist who does like the testing, like psychoeducational assessments and the gifted testing and things like that. And then there's a counselor that deals with like maybe social skills groups or grief groups or bullying and, you know, all the kind of mental health issues. Just remember that the school counselor is not there to do therapy with your kids. A lot of times I've seen parents who expect the school counselor to do therapy with their kids or to, they'll say, oh yeah, my child's getting therapy. They see the school counselor twice a week. And I'm like, ah, that's not fair to the school counselor because that's not their role. Their role is to address issues that are school specific. So if your child is having an anxiety attack, they should be able to have a safe place to go. And that's what a counselor would be. Or if your child is dealing with bullying, they can go to the counselor. A counselor can be a good check-in when they get overwhelmed. But again, they're not there to do actual therapy. They're there to be a support. And so it's it's good to know what their role is meant to be. Some counselors go way above and beyond. And they will meet with your child maybe once a week or twice a week. But that is unusual. The last approach, which is the highest level, is to put in writing and ask for you want a 504. And so you might want a psychoeducational assessment. That's the language that you tend to use in the United States, a psychoeducational assessment, or you want, you know, a 504 meeting because you feel like your child needs accommodations. That can be easy and that can be hard. Uh, Some school districts make it very easy and some school districts will make you go through major hoops to get them. And some private schools don't want to do it, don't need to do it aren't legally tied. I don't know how that works. That's not my expertise, but I have heard lots of struggles sometimes in the private school world, but your child does have rights, especially in the public school system and putting it in writing, it makes it more legal and, you know, more uh, formal. And then, I mean, for us, it was very easy to get a 504 plan. So we're very lucky, thankfully. And so normally you have a 504 plan and you discuss what kind of accommodations you want for your child. It can help to have a therapist and to have a psychiatrist or to have um, some medical documentation. Sometimes they just do a psychoeducational assessment 
But like if they did a psychoeducational assessment on my daughter, I don't know if anything would necessarily show up unless they were maybe doing some some measurements for anxiety or OCD because you know she functions really well outside of all of that. And so sometimes you have to just get some records and things from your providers outside. Sometimes you don't need that. So it just depends on your school district. And sometimes you ask for a 504 plan and they're willing to make accommodations informally because it actually saves the school district probably a lot of money to not have a formal one. But it can be helpful to have a formal one, especially if your child is in middle school, because it's harder when they get into high school to have a 504 plan or to have an IEP. And so to get those in place before they go to like a big school is probably a smart thing to do because it's easier to just hold on to a 504 plan versus creating one. So if you get a 504 plan, which is a really nice gift to have, and if the school is saying, hey, we want to give you a 504 plan, take it. Because I've had parents who are saying like, they're pushing a 504 plan and I don't want to take it. And I'm like, do you know how hard people fight for a 504 plan? Like, And your school's like wanting to give you one, take it. Because you don't have to use the accommodations, but for it to be there is such a bonus for your kids. And it's a protection because you never know when you might need it. And to have it in place is, is golden. And so when you're creating a 504 plan, when you get that far, don't expect the school to come up with the accommodations. Um, they might, and that's great. But again, you know your child the best. Your child's therapist might know them the best. And so you can ask the therapist, what things do you recommend? You might ask your child, what things show up in the school environment? What's the hardest thing for you at school? And that's what I did with my daughter. We went through, like, what's, what is the hardest part of the day? What's the hardest hour? What is the hardest task when you're at school? What's the scariest task? Um, when do you feel the most overwhelmed? These are great questions because that's a roadmap to what accommodations are going to look like. And so her answers were, I get really shaky. I'm hungry. Okay. That was about her not eating in the morning. I don't like to be in the cafeteria. You know, the this was back when she was in first grade when we formed her 504 plan. But she said, you know, it's really loud and noisy. I'm worried I might throw up. Um, I'm worried that if I have to go to the bathroom, remember she had sensory motor OCD the lunch aides are really mean and they might yell at me and the principal's really mean and she might yell at me. And so we actually, part of her plan, part of my plan to help her was the lunch aides were shown her 504 and were told that if she needs to go to the bathroom, she should be able to. The principal talked to her and showed her that she's not scary and that she is approachable. And so that helped her. And so we addressed all those issues. And then she said that she, you know, sometimes picking, you know, at school and all sorts of different things. And we addressed all of those with, with things in her 504 that look different today in sixth grade than they did back in first grade. Because what she needs now is very little compared to what she needed back then, which was a lot more. So as a parent, remember that you are the expert in your child's behaviors and what your child needs. And that just because someone's a professional, whether they're a therapist or the school environment, you know your child the best. You know what works, you know what doesn't work. And so don't forget that you are the expert when it comes to your child. I know that's really hard sometimes because you could be surrounded by people with a bunch of degrees and you think they they're they're going to tell me what to do. No, you know what to do with your kids. Um or you're learning, hopefully through this podcast and other resources to find out what works with your kids because what works in the home environment is much more likely to work in the school environment because they're practicing it more. It's like their coping mechanism. So I hope that you found that helpful. 
Hope that you find the podcast helpful in general. Don't forget to rate it, hit a star, leave a review. Those things do really help. I appreciate it. I know it can be a little tricky thing when we're getting ready to get our kids back to school. It can be really overwhelming for us. It can be overwhelming for them. And then finally, once we get back to that routine, it can feel like we're surviving it, hopefully. So I do hope that you find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 